The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I celebrate myself and what I assume you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. I loaf and invite my soul, I lean and loaf at my ease, observing a spear of summer grass. Now that comes from the very first page of the very first edition of Leaves of Grass, from the poem that later came to be called Song of Myself, And I think that is sort of the key to Whitman. That is certainly the key to what I will call his poems of mysticism. Um, That is his basic achievement, his basic statement. That what I assume, you shall assume. Every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. And then immediately follow that with, I loaf and invite my soul. I lean and loaf at my ease, observing a spear of summer grass connecting it with nature and a kind of personal experience that is private and observational and it is one where we where the poet and the audience and everyone potentially um, identifies themselves with everyone else and everything else I think that every poem that I've read here from Whitman's that I collected in the episodes on Whitman's love poetry and his death poetry could conceivably be wrapped into uh, this episode, the poems of uh, Whitman's mysticism. I don't think any of the poems that I read tonight could conceivably be wrapped into uh, or under the banner of love poetry or death poetry. I do think that this kind of identification is basically what Whitman did, as no one else ever has. It is his basic achievement. It's not an autobiographical one in the standard sense, and it's not a dramatic one in any standard sense either. He is not Wordsworth writing about himself, and he is not Shakespeare with a mind or a soul or a body filled with thousands of voices and thousands of souls. He has one voice, and he uses it to express this identification that people can find among themselves in everyone and in everything. And it is a blessing that this was Whitman's achievement because he was able to harness and hold on to this voice for so long. And it is also in a way Whitman's curse because he really wasn't able to develop beyond this voice. This is why it seems that uh, there aren't really any 
great long poems after 1865 or so, and why, in general, the poems that he wrote later in his life aren't really as good as the ones he wrote earlier in his life, simply because he only had one trick, and it was one hell of a trick, but still, and he wasn't able to sustain it for quite that long. And I have immense sympathy for that. I think I read the uh, the interview that Seamus Heaney gave about his 48-poem sequence from his book Seeing Things, and I think he was able to hold on to the voice and the tone of those poems for about 18 months. And last year I was in sort of a thrall writing poems in the voice of William Shakespeare, and I maybe was able to hold on to that voice for four or five months, if that. Whitman was able to do this for years and years, and that is an incredible thing. So what I will do tonight is read my favorite poems of his that seem to me of this mystical bent, first from Song of Myself, and then uh, from his shorter poems. And then after that, I will insert a reading I did from last year, which seems to me Whitman's, at least to me, Whitman's greatest poem, the poem that came to be called Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. And only after that will I read two other long poems of his that are of note, and they also come, as Crossing Brooklyn Ferry did, from the 1856 edition of Leaves of Grass. And these will be Song of the Open Road and A Song of the Rolling Earth. And for those who would just like to skip to those long poems, look in the postscription and I will include a timestamp there. As I've mentioned in the other episodes on Whitman's poetry, uh, these readings come from two books that I just edited for S4N Books, Whitman's Selected Long Poems and Whitman's Selected Short Poems. They are part of the S4N Pocket Poems series, and they are all, Whitman, the Whitman books and the other books in the series are all $3.99, so if you like what you read here, and if you like any of the other books in the series, do consider go and buying them. But on to the poetry from here on out. This is another section, another famous section from Song of Myself. Whitman does so much with uh, occupations. I believe it is the uh, section 15 in Song of Myself that just goes on and on and on and on. It's, it's a miraculous catalog. And this is sort of uh, a shorter version of that. And here we are with Whitman. The blab of the pave, the tires of carts and slough of boot soles, and talk of the promenaders, the heavy omnibus, the driver with his interrogating thumb, the clank of the shod horses on the granite floor, the carnival of sleighs, the clinking and shouted jokes and pelts of snowballs, the hurrahs for popular favorites, the fury of roused mobs, the flap of the curtained litter, the sick man inside born to the hospital, the meeting of enemies, the sudden oath, the blows and fall, the excited crowd, the policeman with his star, quickly working his passage to the center of the crowd, the impassive stones, 
that receive in return so many echoes, the souls moving along. Are they invisible while the least atom of the stones is visible? What groans of overfed or half-starved who fall on the flags, sunstruck or in fits? What exclamations of women taken suddenly, who hurry home and give birth to babes? What living and hurried speech is always vibrating here? What howls, restrained by decorum, arrests of criminals, slights, adulterous offers made, acceptances, rejections with convex lips? I mind them, or the resonance of them. I come again and again. And there we have it, that's, that movement from what is visible on the street, what is visible on the street, to the impassive stones that receive and return so many echoes, and is what happens in humanity invisible while the least atom of the stones is visible, and on and on. We are there, and like Whitman, we come and come again to these scenes. Here's another small, this is only two lines from Song of Myself. Oxen that rattle the yoke or halt in the shade, what is that that you express in your eyes? It seems to me more than all the print I have read in my life. That's worth reading again, so short, but perfect. Oxen that rattle the yoke or halt in the shade, what is that you express in your eyes? It seems to me more than all the print I have read in my life. Let's see. And here, I believe this is the first part in Song of Myself, the first part in Leaves of Grass, where he names himself. And he says, Walt Whitman, an American, one of the roughs, a cosmos, disorderly, fleshy, and sensual, eating, drinking, and breeding, no sentimentalist, no stander above men and women or apart from them, no more modest than immodest. Unscrew the locks from the doors. Unscrew the doors themselves from their jams. Whoever degrades another degrades me, and whatever is done or said returns at last to me, and whatever I do or say, I also return. Through me the afflatus surging and surging, through me the current and index. I speak the password primeval, I give the sign of democracy. By God, I will accept nothing, which all cannot have their counterpart of on the same terms. Through me many long dumb voices, voices of the interminable generations of slaves, voices of prostitutes and of deformed persons, voices of the diseased and despairing and of thieves and dwarfs, voices of cycles of preparation and accretion and of the threads that connect the stars, and of wombs, and of the father's stuff, and of the rights of them the others are down upon, of the trivial and flat and foolish and despised, of fog in the air and beetles rolling balls of dung. Through me forbidden voices, voices of sexes and lusts, voices veiled, and I remove the veil, 
voices indecent by me, clarified and transfigured. I do not press my finger across my mouth. I keep as delicate around the bowels as around the head and heart. Copulation is no more rank to me than death is. I believe in the flesh and the appetites. Seeing, hearing, and feeling are miracles, and each part and tag of me is a miracle. Divine am I inside and out, and I make holy whatever I touch or am touched from. The scent of these armpits is aroma finer than prayer. This head is more than churches or Bibles or creeds. If I worship any particular thing, it shall be some of the spread of my body. Translucent mold of me it shall be you, shaded ledges and rests, firm masculine coulter it shall be you. Whatever goes to the tilth of me, it shall be you. You, my rich blood, your milky stream, pale strippings of my life, breast that presses against other breasts, it shall be you. My brain, it shall be your occult convolutions, root of washed sweet flag, timorous pond snipe, nest of guarded duplicate eggs, it shall be you. Mixed, tussled hay of head and beard and brawn, it shall be you. Trickling a sap of maple, fiber of manly wheat, it shall be you. Sun so generous, it shall be you. Vapors lighting and shading my face, it shall be you. You sweaty brooks and dews, it shall be you. Winds whose soft tickling genitals rub against me, it shall be you. Broad muscular fields, branches of live oak, loving lounger in my winding paths, it shall be you. Hands I have taken, face I have kissed, mortal I have ever touched, it shall be you. And there it is, basically again, what he experiences, you shall experience, it shall be you. Further on in Song of Myself. Encompass world, but never try to encompass me. I crowd your noisiest talk by looking toward you. Writing and talk do not prove me. I carry the plenum of proof and everything else in my face. With the hush of my lips I confound the topmost skeptic. I think I will do nothing for a long time but listen and accrue what I hear into myself and let sounds contribute toward me. There's an awful lot in Whitman about sitting around and listening and accruing. That first image in, in Song of Myself is, I loaf and invite my soul, I loaf, I lean and loaf at my ease. Uh, there's an awful lot of wu-wei, as the Taoists would say, a lot of non-doing here that results uh, in an awful lot of insight that Whitman is doing here. And as I mentioned in the episodes on love poetry, again, Whitman here is saying that writing and talk and poetry do not prove me. His body and his experiences prove him. But of course, his mode of expression, uh, at least the memorable one for everyone in the world since his life, has not been um, what he did 
with his body, which uh, is still a mark of contention. It is what he did with his words. He is uh, subverting poetry while writing poetry, you might say. Um, this is another small section from Song of Myself. I believe a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars, and the pismir is equally perfect, and a grain of sand and the egg of the wren, and the tree is the chef d'oeuvre for the highest, and the running blackberry would adorn the parlors of heaven, and the narrowest hinge in my hand puts to scorn all machinery, and the cow crunching with depressed head surpasses any statue, and a mouse is miracle enough to stagger sextillions of infidels, and I could come every afternoon of my life to look at the farmer's girl boiling her iron tea kettle and baking shortcake. I find I incorporate ganace and coal and long-threaded moss and fruits and grains and esculent roots, and I am stuccoed with quadrupeds and birds all over, and have distanced what is behind me for good reasons, and call anything close again when I desire it. He is sort of a, uh, 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 a Long Island, Brooklyn, Manhattan, St. Francis here, stuccoed with quadrupeds and birds all over. And it might seem that he even goes too far, saying, I could come every afternoon of my life to look at the farmer's girl boiling her iron tea kettle and baking shortcake, but I would take Whitman seriously at that. The next page, he says, I think I could turn and live a while with the animals. They are so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them sometimes half the day long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God. Not one is dissatisfied. Not one is demented with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another, nor to his kind that lived thousands of years ago. Not one is respectable or industrious over the whole earth. And... Even though a sentiment like that has been done over and over and over again in poetry, um, to the point that uh, it's become a cliche and I've gotten tired of it, uh, Whitman doing it makes the perfect sense to me. Um, let's see here. Much further on. And leaves in the song of myself he says this wider and wider they spread expanding and always expanding outward and outward forever outward my son has his son and round him obediently wheels he joins with his partners a group of superior circuit and greater sets follow making specks of the greatest inside them there is no stoppage and never can be stoppage. If I and you and the worlds and all beneath are upon their surfaces, and all the palpable life, 
Were this moment reduced back to a pallid float, it would not avail in the long run. We should surely bring up again where we now stand, and as surely go as much farther and then farther and farther. A few quadrillions of eras, a few octillions of cubic leagues, do not hazard the span or make it impatient. There are but parts. Anything is but a part. See ever so far, there is limitless space outside of that. Count ever so much, there is limitless time around that. Our rendezvous is fitly appointed. God will be there and wait till we come. I know I have the best of time and space, and that I was never measured and never will be measured. And I think that Whitman's biographers point to passages like that that show that he was very familiar with those aspects of Hinduism that deal with huge, uh, impossibly long uh, uh, durations of time, and he puts them to his uses here. It's wonderful that he was able to pick up on that as well. A few pages later, he says this. This is still a song of myself. I have said that the soul is not more than the body, and I have said that the body is not more than the soul, and nothing, not God, is greater to one than oneself is. And whoever walks a furlong without sympathy walks to his own funeral, dressed in his shroud. And I, or you, pocketless of a dime, may purchase the pick of the earth, and to glance with an eye or show a beam in its pod a bean in its pod, confounds the learning of all times. And there is no trade or employment but the young man following it may become a hero. And there is no object so soft but it makes a hub for the wheeled universe. And any man or woman shall stand cool and supercilious before a million universes. And this next passage is from the very end of Song of Myself. It is not chaos or death. It is form and union and plan. It is eternal life. It is happiness. The past and present wilt. I have filled them and emptied them and proceed to fill my next fold of the future. Listener up there, hear you what have you to confide to me? Look in my face while I snuff the sidle of evening. Talk honestly, for no one else hears you, and I stay only a minute longer. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then. I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. I concentrate toward them that are nigh. I wait on the door slab. Who has done his day's work and will soonest be through with this supper? Who wishes to walk with me? Will you speak before I am gone? Will you prove already too late? The spotted hawk swoops by and accuses me. He complains of my gab and my loitering. I, too, am not a bit tamed. I, too, am untranslatable. I sound my barbaric yawp over the roofs of the world. 
the last scud of day holds back for me. It flings my likeness after the rest, and true as any on the shadowed wilds. It coaxes me to the vapor in the dusk. I depart as air, I shake my white locks at the runaway sun. I effuse my flesh in eddies and drift it in lacy jags. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nevertheless, and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me, at first keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere, waiting for you. And that is the end of Song of Myself. What I'm going to do here before I read from his uh, shorter poems is insert a longer section of Song of Myself that, uh, that was an episode last year or so, and I'm going to tack that on here and then get on with his shorter poems. Here is a part of Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. I'll be reading it from the 1855, the first edition. And for those of you who, who might go looking for it, um, the 1855 edition does not have section numbers. But by the time it did, by the time he added them in, what I'm about to read ends up being in section 33. So if you have editions with those numbers in it, that's where you can find it. Swift wind, space, my soul. Now I know it is true what I guessed at, what I guessed when I loafed on the grass, what I guessed while I lay alone in my bed, and again as I walked the beach under the paling stars of the morning. My ties and ballasts leave me, I travel, I sail, my elbows rest in the sea gaps, I skirt the Sierras, my palms cover continents, I am afoot with my vision. By the city's quadrangular houses in log huts, or camping with lumbermen, along the ruts of the turnpike, along the dry gulch and rivulet bed, hoeing my onion patch and rows of carrots and parsnips, crossing savannas, trailing in forests, prospecting, gold-digging, girdling the trees of a new purchase, scorched ankle-deep by the hot sand, hauling my boat down the shallow river, where the panther walks to and fro, on a limb overhead, where the buck turns furiously at the hunter, where the rattlesnake suns his flabby length on a rock, where the otter is feeding on fish, 
where the alligator in his tough pimples sleeps by the bayou, where the black bear is searching for roots or honey, where the beaver pats the mud with his paddle tail, over the growing sugar, over the cotton plant, over the rice in its low, moist field, over the sharp-peaked farmhouse with its scalloped scum and slender shoots from the gutters, over the western persimmon, over the long-leaved corn and the delicate blue-flowered flax, over the white and brown buckwheat, a hummer and a buzzer there with the rest, over the dusky green of the rye as it ripples and shades the breeze. Scaling mountains, pulling myself cautiously up, holding on by low, scragged limbs, walking the path worn in the grass and beat through the leaves of the brush, where the quail is whistling betwixt the woods and the wheat lot, where the bat flies in the July eve, where the great gold bug drops through the dark, where the flails keep time on the barn floor, where the brook puts out of the roots of the old tree and flows to the meadow, where cattle stand and shake away flies with the tremulous shuddering of their hides, where the cheesecloth hangs in the kitchen and the andirons straddle the hearth slab and cobwebs fall in festoons from the rafters, where trip hammers crash, where the press is whirling its cylinders, wherever the human heart beats with terrible throes out of its ribs, where the pear-shaped balloon is floating aloft, floating in it myself and looking composedly down, where the life car is drawn on the slip noose, where the heat hatches pale green eggs in the dented sand, where the she-whale swims with her calves and never forsakes them, where the steamship trails hindways its long pennant of smoke, where the ground shark's fin cuts like a black chip out of the water, where the half-burned brig is riding on unknown currents, where shells grow to her slimy deck and the dead are corrupting below, where the striped and starred flag is borne at the head of the regiments, approaching Manhattan, up by the long stretching island, under Niagara, the cataract, falling like a veil over my countenance, upon a doorstep, upon the horse block of hardwood outside, upon the race course, or enjoying picnics or jigs, or a good game of baseball, at he festivals with blackguard jibes and ironical license and bull dances and drinking and laughter, at the cider mill, tasting the sweet of the brown skush, sucking the juice through a straw, at apple peelings, wanting kisses for all the red fruit I find, at musters and beach parties and friendly bees and huskings and house raisings, where the mockingbird sounds his delicious gurgles and cackles and screams and weeps, where the hayrick stands in the barnyard 
and the dry stalks are scattered, and the brood cow waits in the hovel, where the bull advances to do his masculine work, and the stud to the mare and the cock is treading the hen, where the heifers browse, and the geese nip their food with short jerks, where the sundown shadows lengthen over the limitless and lonesome prairie, where the herds of buffalo make a crawling spread of the square miles far and near, where the hummingbird shimmers, where the neck of the long-lived swan is curving and winding, where the laughing gull scoots by the slappy shore and laughs her near-human laugh, where beehives range on a gray bench in the garden half-hid by the high weeds, where the band-necked partridges roost in a ring on the ground with their heads out, where burial coaches enter the arched gates of a cemetery, where winter wolves bark amid wastes of snow and icicle trees, where the yellowed-crowned heron comes to the edge of the marsh at night and feeds upon small crabs, where the splash of swimmers and divers cools the warm noon, where the katydid works her chromatic reed and the walnut tree over the well, through patches of citrons and cucumbers with silver-wired leaves, through the salt lick or orange glade or under conical firs, through the gymnasium, through the curtained saloon, through the office or public hall. Pleased with the native and pleased with the foreign, pleased with the new and old, pleased with women, the homely as well as the handsome, pleased with the Quakeress as she puts off her bonnet and talks so melodiously, pleased with the primitive tunes of the choir of the whitewashed church, pleased with the earnest words of the sweating Methodist preacher, or any preacher, looking seriously at the camp meeting, looking in at the shop windows in Broadway the whole forenoon, pressing the flesh of my nose to the thick plate glass, wandering the same afternoon with my face turned up to the clouds, my right and left arms round the sides of two friends and I in the middle, coming home with the bearded and dark-cheeked bush boy, riding behind him at the drape of the day, far from the settlement studying the print of animals' feet or the moccasin print, by the cot in the hospital reaching lemonade to a feverish patient, by the coffined corpse when all is still, examining with a candle, voyaging to every port to dicker and adventure, hurrying with the modern crowd as eager and fickle as any, hot toward one I hate, ready in my madness to knife him, solitary at midnight in my backyard, my thoughts gone from me a long while, walking the old hills of Judea with the beautiful, gentle God by my side, speeding through space, speeding through heaven and the stars, speeding amid the seven satellites and the broad ring and the diameter of eighty thousand miles, speeding with tailed meteors, throwing fireballs like the rest, carrying the crescent child that carries its own full mother in its belly, 
storming, enjoying, planning, loving, cautioning, backing and filling, appearing and disappearing. I tread day and night such roads. Now in the margins of this, uh, I just wrote, there is only a before and after reading this now. I've read Song of Myself before, but I don't remember that at all. And now I don't think I will ever forget it. So here are the shorter poems in Whitman's mystical mode, I would say, that I wanted to read here. The first comes from the 1856 edition of Leaves of Grass, and um, its original title was Faith Poem, but uh, came to have the title Assurances. This is what it says. I need no assurances. I am a man who is preoccupied of his own soul. I do not doubt that whatever I know at a given time, there awaits for me more which I do not know. I do not doubt that from under the feet and beside the hands and face I am cognizant of, or now looking faces I am not cognizant of, calm and actual faces. I do not doubt but the majesty and beauty of the world is latent in any iota of the world. I do not doubt there are realizations I have no idea of awaiting for me through time and through the universes also upon this earth. I do not doubt I am limitless and that the universes are limitless. In vain I try to think how limitless. I do not doubt that the orbs and the systems of orbs play their swift sports through the air on purpose and that I shall one day be eligible to do as much as they and more than they. I do not doubt there is far more in trivialities, insects, vulgar persons, slaves, dwarfs, weeds, rejected refuse, than I have supposed. I do not doubt there is more in myself than I have supposed, and more in all men and women, and more in my poems than I have supposed. I do not doubt that temporary affairs keep on and on millions of years. I do not doubt interiors have their interiors and exteriors have their exteriors and that the eyesight has another eyesight and the hearing another hearing and the voice another voice. I do not doubt that the passionately wept deaths of young men are provided for and that the deaths of young women and the deaths of little children are provided for. I do not doubt that wrecks at sea, no matter what the horrors of them, no matter whose wife, child, husband, father, lover has gone down, are provided for to the minutest point. I do not doubt that shallowness, meanness, malignance are provided for. I do not doubt that the cities that these cities, you, America, the remainder of the earth, politics, freedom, degradations, are carefully provided for. 
I do not doubt that whatever can possibly happen anywhere at any time is provided for in the inherences of things. In reading all of that now, I wonder if that isn't one of the sources of T.S. Eliot's uh, Burnt Norton, the, uh, the very beginning of that poem, Time Present and Time Past, or both perhaps present and time future, and time future contained in time past. Uh, immensely complicated, but uh, um, I wonder if that's where part of that tone comes from. We move on now to the 1860 edition of Leaves of Grass, and this is a poem that was originally number 14 in a cluster of poems called Chants at Democratic. Later on, the title simply became Poets to Come, and it says this. Poets to come, not today is to justify me and democracy and what we are for, but you, a new brood, native, athletic, continental, greater than before known, you must justify me. Indeed, if it were not for you, what would I be? What is the little I have done except to arouse you? I depend on being realized long hence, where the broad, fat prairies spread, and thence to Oregon and California inclusive. I expect that the Texan and the Arizonian, ages hence, will understand me. I expect that the future Carolinian and Georgian will understand me and love me. I expect that Canadians, a hundred and perhaps many hundred years from now, in winter, in the splendor of the snow and woods, or on the icy lakes, will take me with them and permanently enjoy themselves with me. Of today I know I am momentary, untouched. I am the bard of the future. I but write one or two indicative words for the future. I but advance a moment, only to wheel and hurry back in the darkness. I am a man who, sauntering along, without fully stopping, turns a casual look upon you, and then averts his face, leaving it to you to prove and define it, expecting the main things from you. And isn't that a charge for the rest of your life? Whitman has given you a job to do. This is uh, also from the 1860 Leaves of Grass. This was uh, originally number 36 in the cluster of poem, love poems called Calamus, and it's called Earth My Likeness, uh, or later took the title Earth My Likeness. Earth, my likeness, though you look so impassive, ample and spheric there, I now suspect that is not all I now suspect there is something fierce in you, eligible to burst forth. For an athlete is enamored of me, and I of him. But toward him there is something fierce and terrible in me, eligible to burst forth. I dare not tell it in words, not even in these songs. And... 
originally number 45 in the Calamus cluster. This poem, um, yeah, this poem came to be titled Full of Life Now, and it says this, Full of life, sweet-blooded, compact, visible, I, 40 years old, the 83rd year of the States, to one a century hence, or any number of centuries hence, to you yet unborn, these seeking you. When you read these, I that was visible am become invisible. Now it is you, compact, visible, realizing my poems, seeking me, fancying how happy you were if I could be with you and become your lover. Be it as if I were with you, be not too certain, but I am with you now. And then this poem, To a Common Prostitute. Be composed, be at ease with me. I am Walt Whitman, liberal and lusty as nature. Not till the sun excludes you do I exclude you. Not till the waters refuse to glisten for you and the leaves to rustle for you do my words refuse to glisten and rustle for you. My girl, I appoint with you an appointment, and I charge you that you make preparation to be worthy to meet me, and I charge you that you be patient and perfect till I come. Till then, I salute you with a significant look that you do not forget me. And from Drum Taps in 1865 is this poem. It's a small poem called Mother and Babe. And I actually came across an almost identical remark from Leonardo da Vinci in his journals. Um, you think of what Whitman and da Vinci may have had in common, the rush of creative energy that they had, and the two of them. Uh, just being stunned and silenced by this image. And Whitman, he puts it this way, Mother and Babe. I see the sleeping babe nestling the breast of its mother, the sleeping mother and babe hushed. I study them long and long. And that is a situation, the mother and her child, that neither Whitman or da Vinci could touch in their experience or even in their creative lives. And there we have it. From the sequel to Drum Taps, 1865 to 1866, is this famous one from Whitman, O Me, O Life. And he says this, O Me, O Life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself. For who more foolish than I, and who more faithless? Of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean of the struggles ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined, the question, O oh me, so sad, recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, 
O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you will contribute a verse. And there he is again, basically there, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined. We are all intertwined here. This is, these next two come from the 1871-1872 leaves of grass. The first is called Sparkles from the Wheel. Yeah, Sparkles from the Wheel, Part 1. Where the city's ceaseless crowd moves on the live-long day. Withdrawn, I join a group of children watching. I pause aside with them. By the curb toward the edge of the flagging, a knife grinder works at his wheel, sharpening a great knife. Bending over, he carefully holds it to the stone by foot and knee. With measured tread he turns rapidly, as he presses with light but firm hand. Forth issue then in copious golden jets, sparkles from the wheel. And part two. The scene and all its belongings, how they seize and affect me. The sad, sharp-chinned old man with worn clothes and broad-shoulder band of leather, myself effusing and fluid, a phantom curiously floating, now here absorbed and arrested. The group, an unminded point set in a vast surrounding, the attentive, quiet children, the loud, proud, restive bass of the streets, the low, hoarse purr of the whirling stone, the light-pressed blade, diffusing, dropping, sideways darting, and tiny showers of gold sparkles from the wheel. And the next poem, To Thee, Old Cause. To thee, old cause, thou peerless, passionate, good cause, thou stern, remorseless, sweet idea, deathless throughout the ages, races, lands, after a strange, sad war, great war for thee. I think all war through time was really fought, and ever will be really fought for thee. These chants for thee, the eternal march of thee. Thou orb of many orbs, thou seething principle, thou well-kept latent germ, thou center. Around the idea of thee, the war revolving, with all its angry and vehement play of causes, with vast results to come for thrice a thousand years, these recitatives for thee, my book, and the war are one, merged in its spirit, I and mine, as the contest hinged on thee, as a wheel on its axis turns, this book, unwitting to itself, around the idea of thee. And that's probably the one of the more unbelievable instances of identification that he makes. My book and the war are one, and yet he says it. And didn't uh, Francis Ford Coppola say 
about Apocalypse Now, my movie uh, is not about the Vietnam War. My movie is the Vietnam War. Um, you can allow him that hyperbole after all he went through to make that that movie and the weird madness that he and the crew and the cast all went through there. Um, here's a small poem from the 1881 Leaves of Grass called A Clear Midnight, and it says, This is thy hour, O soul, thy free flight into the wordless, away from books, away from art, the day erased, the lesson done. Thee fully forth emerging, silent, gazing, pondering the themes thou lovest best. Night, sleep, death, and the stars. And there he is using poetry and books and art to get away from poetry, books, and art. And three more poems here from the last edition of Leaves of Grass from 1892, all, all small poems. This is called From Montauk Point. I stand as on some mighty eagle's beak, eastward the sky absorbing, viewing, nothing but seeing sky. The tossing waves, the foam, the ships in the distance, the wild unrest, the snowy curling caps, that inbound urge and urge of waves, seeking the shores forever. And I think when you combine small poems like that with um, As I Ebbed with the Ocean of Life and Out of the Cradle Endlessly Rocking, Whitman is our great poet of water and of the sea. This poem I include here simply because it also, uh, um, there's a recording that is supposed to be of Whitman and it's the only recording of his that we have, and he is reading part of this poem. And um, I like to read this, read this just because I can hear the voice that is supposed to be Whitman reading it as well. It is just called America, and it says, Center of equal daughters, equal sons, all, all alike endeared, grown, ungrown, young or old, strong, ample, fair, enduring, capable, rich, perennial with the earth, with freedom, law, and love, a grand, sane, towering, seated mother, chaired in the adamant of time. And I think actually I will include that reading the reading Whitman did of this poem right now. America, center of equal daughters, equal sons, all, all alike and dear, grown, ungrown, young or old, strong, ample, fair, enduring, capable, rich, Perennial with the earth, with freedom, law, and love. Now that's a great treat to suddenly have. I didn't realize I would do that until I realized that my own reading of the poem 
basically mimics Whitman's, or the supposed voice of Whitman, it staggered me to look at the uh, look at the statistics for this podcast at the end of 2021 and to realize how many, many hundreds of minutes I have burdened you people with out there, and that if we are lucky, if that recording really is of Whitman, all we have of him is 36 seconds, apparently from a wax cylinder recording from 1889 or 1890. Now, you can look in the post description for a longer article about this recording, some people believing that uh, it isn't Whitman or that uh, it's some sort of forgery, others thinking otherwise and using as evidence, uh, I believe, a, uh, a letter from Thomas Edison wishing to record Whitman. And it is perhaps too much for our nostalgia these days. We are already an extremely nostalgic people, let alone poets being nostalgic to suddenly have the sound of Walt Whitman reading. Um, we are too nostalgic a people to not want to grasp onto this. And so uh, I will just assume that it is him and that that weird high-pitched voice is what he sounded like at the end of his life. And um, I will just play it again and then go on with the uh, last poem, the last short poem that I will read here. America, center of equal daughters, equal sons, all, all alike and dear, grown, ungrown, young or old, strong, ample, fair, enduring, Rich, perennial with the earth, with freedom, law, and love. One last poem from the 1892 Leaves of Grass. This is L of G's purport, Leaves of Grass, the purport of the book. Not to exclude or demarcate or pick out evils from their formidable masses, even to expose them, but add, fuse, complete, extend, and celebrate the immortal and the good. Haughty this song, its words and scope, to span vast realms of space and time, evolution, the cumulative growths and generations. Begun in ripened youth and steadily pursued, wandering, peering, dallying with all, war, peace, day and night absorbing, never even for one brief hour abandoning my task, I end it here in sickness, poverty, and old age. I sing of life, yet mind me well of death. Today shadowy death dogs my steps my seated shape, and has for years, draws sometimes close to me as face to face. But we can't leave Walt there. And what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to insert a reading I gave of, a, of another short poem 
called Give Me the Splendid Silent Sun that I posted as an episode here, I think back in September of last year. And after that, we will go on with what I think is Whitman's best poem, uh, Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. And then after that, two other long poems. So here they are. Here's another poem by Walt Whitman called Give Me the Splendid Silent Sun. And while it seems that uh, the Whitman poems are getting uh, a lot of listeners, I can imagine some people out there are saying another Whitman poem. Why do we have to listen to another Whitman poem? Um, that makes me wonder, makes me remember what I mentioned last week, the, the line by Yeats that he said, sometimes the, uh, the siege of Troy feels newer and more immediate and more alive to him than the newspaper, uh, the daily newspaper. And for me, I think that's also true generally of poetry or of anything creative. If I'm pulling from a pool of, of uh, creativity that goes back to the beginnings of writing uh, and literature, as I've done with uh, Gilgamesh and the other stuff, going all the way back there in ancient Egypt, the idea of using someone like Whitman uh, feels pretty appropriate. I don't see it really as a great tragedy that there aren't that many contemporary poets that I read or really love or really enjoy. I actually find it to be a pretty lucky experience that, let's say, in the past 200 years or so, if there are half a dozen or a dozen poets that I really, truly love. Uh, they don't have to be still out and about walking the streets today. Um, and so Whitman is one of those. He feels as fresh and alive as anybody I've ever read, really. And especially with this poem, where he's usually not much for tricks, but uh, it's nice to see what he does with this poem. It's uh, two parts and they are nice uh, mirror images of each other. Give me the splendid silent sun. And also, it's simply the, uh, simply the matter of asking, is anyone doing anything like this right now? Does anyone sound like this right now or have this uh, sense of freedom about them right now? Has anyone uh, since Whitman proven the artistic merit, you might say, of free verse the way he did? And has anyone in formal verse done anything like this since Whitman? For me, not really many have. And so I just, uh, one of the great tests of poetry right now for me, especially since 2020 happened, is does it make me smile? Uh, and this certainly made me smile, gave me great joy to come upon this poem. And let's see what it says. Give me the splendid sun, part one. Give me the splendid silent sun with all his beams full dazzling. Give me juicy autumnal fruit, ripe and red from the orchard. Give me a field where the unmowed grass grows. Give me an arbor Give me the trellised grape. Give me fresh corn and wheat. Give me serene moving animals 
teaching content. Give me nights perfectly quiet, as on high plateaus west of the Mississippi, and I looking up at the stars. Give me odorous at sunrise a garden of beautiful flowers, where I can walk undisturbed. Give me for marriage a sweet-breathed woman, of whom I should never tire. Give me a perfect child. Give me, away, aside from the noise of the world, a rural domestic life. Give me to warble spontaneous songs, relieved, recluse by myself, for my own ears only. Give me solitude. Give me nature. Give me again, O nature, your primal sanities. These, demanding to have them, tired with ceaseless excitement and racked by war strife, these to procure, incessantly asking, rising in cries from my heart, while yet incessantly asking, still I adhere to my city. Day upon day and year upon year, O city, walking your streets where you hold me enchained a certain time, refusing to give me up, yet giving to make me glutted enriched of soul, you give me forever faces. Oh, I see what I sought to escape, confronting, reversing my cries. I see my own soul trampling down what it asked for. And so this is part two. Keep your splendid silent sun. Keep your woods, O oh nature, and the quiet places by the woods. Keep your fields of clover and timothy, and your cornfields and orchards. Keep the blossoming buckwheat fields, where the ninth month bees hum. Give me faces and streets. Give me these phantoms incessant and endless along the tratars. Give me interminable eyes. Give me women. Give me comrades and lovers by the thousand. Let me see new ones every day. Let me hold new ones by the hand every day. Give me such shows. Give me the streets of Manhattan. Give me Broadway with the soldiers marching. Give me the sound of the trumpets and drums. The soldiers and companies are regiments, some starting away flushed and reckless, some their time up returning with thinned ranks, young yet very old, Worn, marching, noticing nothing. Give me the shores and the wharves, heavy fringed with the black ships. Oh, such for me. Oh, an intense life. Oh, full of repletion and varied. The life of the theater, bar room, huge hotel for me. The saloon of the steamer, the crowded excursion for me. The torchlight procession. The dense brigade bound for the war, with high-piled military wagons following. People endless streaming with strong voices, passions, pageants. Manhattan streets, with their powerful throbs, with the beating drums as now. The endless and noisy chorus, the rustle and clank of muskets, even the sight of the wounded. 
Manhattan crowds with their turbulent musical chorus, with varied chorus and light of the sparkling eyes. Manhattan faces and eyes forever for me. I think that it's worth mentioning here, and if only briefly, that uh, during the pandemic year of 2020, I myself dealt with a few and one major health issue that had nothing to do with COVID-19. But one thing that struck me in the midst of it was that I have a great love for the dour and the depressing and even if it is prophetic and beautiful, and I think especially of the recent poems I've been reading by Robinson Jeffers, there is still uh, very little that I've shared here that is simply happy and beautiful. And that is why I wanted to start reading some Walt Whitman in this space. I recall very early on reading Whitman's words in the uh, afterward that he wrote to Leaves of Grass, in which he says, it matters so much where you read. And just as I came downstairs to record this now, I remembered that when I read that line, I immediately, or not immediately, perhaps the next day, uh, went to a park nearby to read Whitman there. I remember reading Whitman when I lived in the South, and I was researching a long narrative poem that uh, begins in Savannah, Georgia, and I remember, if anything, the, that the book that I am going to read from now, Whitman's Poetry, that uh, I took a whole day out once and packed some sandwiches and, and a cooler in my car and found a cheap parking lot in Savannah, Georgia, and I wandered around for hours and hours, it seems like, and would go back for some food uh, every few hours. And I remember reading Whitman there in the squares. And when I met my wife a few years later, and then decided that I was going to go out to where she was living and move across the country to be with her, I remember most of all stopping at payphones. Uh, the most vivid memory of this I have is stopping at a payphone just off the highway in Indiana and reading her Whitman over the phone as I was making my way across the country to her. And now that my daughter is four years old, I know for a fact, although I can't remember a specific instance, that I have read Whitman to her as well. So that it does matter so much where you read and in the case of this podcast, I guess it matters so much where you listen. And as much as I might criticize in this podcast or elsewhere how it is that our phones have allowed us to watch a movie while sitting on the toilet at four in the morning or read a book or whatever it is, it is sort of a miracle that someone that I don't even know thousands or a hundred or even two miles away 
can listen to this poem that I am about to read, wherever it is that they are, and whenever it is that they are hearing it, whether tomorrow or 20 or 100 years from now. And that really leads into Whitman's poem, the first one that I want to share on this podcast. And it's called Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. Flood tide below me, I see you face to face. Clouds of the west, sun there half an hour high, I see you also face to face. Crowds of men and women attired in the usual costumes, how curious you are to me. On the ferry boats, the hundreds and hundreds that cross, returning home, are more curious to me than you suppose, and you that shall cross from shore to shore years hence are more to me, and more in my meditations, than you might suppose. The impalpable sustenance of me from all things at all hours of the day, the simple, compact, well-joined scheme, myself disintegrated, everyone disintegrated yet part of the scheme. The similitudes of the past and those of the future, the glories strung like beads on my smallest sights and hearings, on the walk in the street and the passage over the river, the current rushing so swiftly and swimming with me far away, the others that are to follow me, the ties between me and them, the certainty of others, the life, the love, sight, hearing of others. Others will enter the gates of the ferry and cross from shore to shore. Others will watch the run of the flood tide. Others will see the shipping of Manhattan north and west and the heights of Brooklyn to the south and east. Others will see the islands large and small fifty years hence. Others will see them as they cross, the sun half an hour high, a hundred years hence or ever so many hundreds of years hence, others will see them, will enjoy the sunset, the pouring in of the flood tide, the falling back to the sea of the ebb tide. It avails not, time nor place, distance avails not. I am with you, you men and women of a generation, or ever so many generations hence, just as you feel when you look on the river and sky, so I felt. Just as any of you is one of a living crowd, I was one of a crowd. Just as you are refreshed by the gladness of the river and the bright flow, I was refreshed. Just as you stand and lean on the rail, yet hurry with the swift current, I stood, yet was hurried. Just as you look on the numberless masts of ships and the thick-stemmed pipes of steamboats, I looked. I, too, many and many a time crossed the river of old, watched the twelve-month seagulls, saw them high in the air floating with motionless wings, oscillating their bodies, saw how the glistening yellow lit up parts of their bodies and left the rest in strong shadow saw the slow-wheeling circles and the gradual edging toward the south, 
saw the reflection of the summer sky in the water, had my eyes dazzled by the shimmering track of beams, looked at the fine centrifugal spokes of light round the shape of my head in the sunlit water, looked on the haze on the hills southward and southwestward, looked on the vapor as it flew in fleeces tinged with violet, looked toward the lower bay to notice the vessels arriving, saw their approach, saw aboard those that were near me, saw the white sails of schooners and sloops, saw the ships at anchor, the sailors at work in the rigging or astride the spars, the round masts, the swinging motion of the hulls, the slender serpentine pennants, the large and small steamers in motion, the pilots in their pilot houses, the white wake left by the passage, the quick tremulous whirl of the wheels, the flags of all nations, the falling of them at sunset, the scallop-edged waves in the twilight, the ladled cups, the frolicsome crests, and glistening, the stretch afar growing dimmer and dimmer, the gray walls of the granite storehouses by the docks, on the river the shadowy group, the big steam tug closely flanked on each side by the barges, the hay boat, the bladed lighter, on the neighboring shores the fires from the foundry chimneys burning high and glaringly into the night, casting their flicker of black contrasted with wild red and yellow light over the tops of houses and down into the clefts of streets. These and all else were to me the same as they are to you. I loved well those cities, loved well the stately and rapid river. The men and women I saw were all near to me. Others the same, others who look back on me because I looked forward to them. The time will come, though I stop here today and tonight. What is it, then, between us? What is the count of the scores or hundreds of years between us? Whatever it is, it avails not. Distance avails not, and place avails not. I too lived. Brooklyn of ample hills was mine. I too walked the streets of Manhattan Island and bathed in the waters around it. I too felt the curious, abrupt questionings stir within me. In the day among the crowds of people sometimes they came upon me. In my walks home late at night or as I lay in bed, they came upon me. I too had been struck from the float forever held in solution. I too had received identity by my body. That I was, I knew, was of my body. And what I should be, I knew, should be of my body. It is not upon you alone the dark patches fall. The dark threw its patches down upon me also. The best I had done seemed to be blank and suspicious. My great thoughts, as I supposed them, were they not in reality meager? Nor is it you alone who know what it is to be evil. I am he who knew what it was to be evil. I, too, knotted the old knot of contrariety, blabbed, blushed, resented, lied, stole, grudged, had guile, anger, lust, hot wishes, I dare not speak. 
was wayward, vain, greedy, shallow, sly, cowardly, malignant, the wolf, the snake, the hog, not wanting in me, the cheating look, the frivolous word, the adulterous wish, not wanting, refusals, hates, postponements, meanness, laziness, none of these wanting, was one with the rest, the days and haps of the rest, was called by the mightiest name by clear loud voices of young men as they saw me approaching or passing, felt their arms on my neck as I stood, or the negligent leaning of their flesh against me as I sat, saw many I loved in the street or ferry boat or public assembly, yet never told them a word, lived the same life with the rest, the same old laughing, gnawing, sleeping, Played the part that still looks back on the actor or actress. The same old role, the role that is what we make it, as great as we like, or as small as we like, or both great and small. Closer yet, I approach you. What thought you have of me now, I had as much of you. I laid in my stores in advance. I considered long and seriously of you before you were born. Who was to know what should come home to me? Who knows, but I am enjoying this. Who knows for all the distance, but I am as good as looking at you now, for all you cannot see me. Ah, what can ever be more stately and admirable to me than mast-hemmed Manhattan? River and sunset and scalloped-edged waves of flood-tide. The seagulls oscillating their bodies, the hay-boat in the twilight, and the belated lighter. What gods can exceed these that clasp me by the hand, and with voices I love call me promptly and loudly by my nighest name as I approach? What is more subtle than this which ties me to the woman or man that looks me in the face? which fuses me into you now, and pours my meaning into you. We understand, then, do we not, what I promised without mentioning it? Have you not accepted? What the study could not teach, what the preaching could not accomplish, is accomplished, is it not? Flow on, river. Flow with the flood tide and ebb with the ebb tide, frolic on, crested and scallop-edged waves, gorgeous clouds of the sunset, drench with your splendor me, or the men and women generations after me. Cross from shore to shore, countless crowds of passengers. Stand up, tall masts of Manhattan. Stand up, beautiful hills of Brooklyn. Throb baffled and curious brain, throw out questions and answers. Suspend here and everywhere, eternal float of solution, gaze, loving and thirsting eyes, and the house or street or public assembly. Sound out, the voices of young men, loudly and musically, call me by my nighest name. Live, old life. Play the part that looks back on the actor or actress. Play the old role, the role that is great or small, according as one makes it.
consider, you who peruse me, whether I may not, in unknown ways, be looking upon you. Be firm, rail over the river, to support those who lean idly, yet haste with the hasting current. Fly on, seabirds, fly sideways or wheel in large circles, high in the air. Receive the summer sky, you water, and faithfully hold it till all downcast eyes have time to take it from you. Diverge, fine spokes of light, from the shape of my head or anyone's head in the sunlit water. Come on, ships from the lower bay, pass up or down, white-sailed schooners, sloops, lighters. Flaunt away, flags of all nations, be duly lowered at sunset, burn high your fires, foundry chimneys, cast black shadows at nightfall, cast red and yellow light over the tops of the houses. Appearances, now or henceforth, indicate what you are. You necessary film, continue to envelop the soul, about my body for me, and your body for you, be hung out the divinest aromas. Thrive, cities, bring your freight, bring your shows, ample and sufficient rivers. Expand, being than which nothing else is perhaps more spiritual. Keep your places, objects, than which nothing else is more lasting. You have waited, you always wait, you dumb, beautiful ministers. We receive you with free sense at last, and are insatiate henceforward. Not you any more shall be able to foil us, or withhold yourselves from us. We use you, and do not cast you aside. We plant you permanently within us. We fathom you not. We love you. There is perfection in you also. You furnish your parts toward eternity. Great or small, you furnish your parts toward the soul. This is Walt Whitman's poem, Song of the Open Road. The original title in the 1856 edition of Leaves of Grass was simply Poem of the Road. Afoot and light-hearted I take to the open road, healthy, free, the world before me, the long brown path before me, leading wherever I choose. Henceforth I ask not a good fortune, I am good fortune. Henceforth I whimper no more, postpone no more, need nothing. Strong and content I travel the open road. The earth, that is sufficient. I do not want the constellations any nearer. I know they are very well where they are. I know they suffice for those who belong to them. Still here I carry my old delicious burdens. I carry them, men and women. I carry them with me wherever I go. I swear it is impossible for me to get rid of them. I am filled with them, and I will 
fill them in return. You road I travel and look around. I believe you are not all that is here. I believe that something unseen is also here. Here is the profound lesson of reception, neither preference nor denial. The black with his woolly head, the felon, the diseased, the illiterate person are not denied. The birth, the hasting after the physician, the beggar's tramp, the drunkard's stagger, the laughing party of mechanics, the escaped youth, the rich person's carriage, the fop, the eloping couple, the early market man, the hearse, the moving of furniture into the town, the return back from the town. They pass, I also pass. Anything passes, none can be interdicted, none but are accepted, none but are dear to me. You air that serves me with breath to speak, you objects that call from diffusion my meanings and give them shape, you light that wraps me and all things in delicate, equable showers, you animals moving serenely over the earth, you birds that wing yourselves with the air, you insects, you sprouting growths from the farmer's fields, you stalks and weeds by the fences, you paths worn in the irregular hollows by the roadsides, I think you are latent with curious existences, you are so dear to me. You flagged walks of the cities, you strong curbs at the edges, you ferries, you planks and posts of wharves, you timber-lined sides, you distant ships, you rows of houses, you window-pierced facades, you roofs, you porches and entrances, you copings and iron guards, you windows whose transparent shells might expose so much, you doors and ascending steps, you arches, you gray stones of interminable pavements, you trodden crossings. From all that has been near you, I believe you have imparted to yourselves, and now would impart the same secretly to me. From the living and the dead, I think you have peopled your impassive surfaces, and the spirits thereof would be evident and amicable with me. The earth expanding right hand and left hand, the picture alive, every part in its best light, the music falling in where it is wanted and stopping where it is not wanted, the cheerful voice of the public road, the gay, fresh sentiment of the road. O oh, highway I travel, O oh, public road, do you say to me, do not leave me? Do you say, venture not? If you leave me, you are lost. Do you say, I am already prepared? I am well beaten and undenied. Adhere to me, O oh, public road. I say back, I am not afraid to leave you, yet I love you. You express me better than I can express myself. You shall be more to me than my poem. I think heroic deeds were all conceived in the open air. I think I could stop here myself and do miracles. I think whatever I meet on the road I shall like, and whatever beholds me shall like me. I think whoever I see must be happy. From this hour, freedom.
From this hour, I ordain myself loosed of limits and imaginary lines, going where I list, my own master, total and absolute, listening to others and considering well what they pay, what they say, pausing, searching, receiving, contemplating, gently but with undeniable will divesting myself of the holds that would hold me. I inhale great draughts of air. The east and the west are mine, and the north and the south are mine. I am larger than I thought. I did not know I held so much goodness. All seems beautiful to me. I can repeat over to men and women, you have done such good to me. I would do the same to you. I will recruit myself and you as I go. I will scatter myself among men and women as I go. I will toss the new gladness and roughness among them. Whoever denies me, it shall not trouble me. Whoever accepts me, he or she shall be blessed and shall bless me. Now, if a thousand perfect men were to appear, it would not amaze me. Now, if a thousand beautiful forms of women appeared, it would not astonish me. Now I see the secret of the making of the best persons. It is to grow in the open air and to eat and sleep with the earth. Here is space. Here is a great personal deed has room. A great deed seizes upon the hearts of the whole race of men. Its effusion of strength and will overwhelms law and mocks all authority and all argument against it. Here is the test of wisdom. Wisdom is not finally tested in schools. Wisdom cannot be passed from one having it to another not having it. Wisdom is of the soul, is not susceptible of proof, is its own proof, applies to all stages and objects and qualities, and is content, is the certainty of the reality and immortality of things and the excellence of things. Something there is in the float of the sight of things that provokes it out of the soul. Now I re-examine philosophies and religions. They may prove well in lecture rooms, yet not prove at all under the spacious clouds and along the landscape and flowing currents. Here is realization. Here is a man tallied. He realizes here what he has in him. The animals, the past, the future, light, space, majesty, love. If they are vacant of you, you are vacant of them. Only the kernel of every object nourishes. Where is he who tears off the husks for you and me? Where is he that undoes stratagems and envelops for you and me? Here is adhesiveness. It is not previously fashioned. It is apropos. Do you know what it is, as you pass, to be loved by strangers? Do you know the talk of those turning eyeballs? Here is the efflux of the soul. The efflux of the soul comes through beautiful gates of laws, provoking questions, these yearnings. Why are they? These thoughts in the darkness, why are they? Why are there men and women that while they are nigh me, the sunlight expands my blood? Why then, when they leave me, do my penance of joy sink flat and lank? 
Why are there trees I never walk under, but large and melodious thoughts descend upon me? I think they hang their winter and summer on those trees, and always drop fruit as I pass. What is it I interchange so suddenly with strangers? What with some driver as I ride on the seat by his side? What with some fisherman drawing his sen by the shore as I walk by and pause? What gives me to be free to a woman's or man's good will? What gives them to be free to mine? The efflux of the soul is happiness. Here is happiness. I think it pervades the air, waiting at all times. Now it flows into us. We are rightly charged. Here rises the fluid and attaching character. The fluid and attaching character is the freshness and sweetness of man and woman. The herbs of the morning sprout no fresher and sweeter every day out of the roots of themselves. Then it sprouts fresh and sweet continually out of itself. Toward the fluid and attaching character exudes the sweat of the love of young and old. From it falls distilled the charm that mocks beauty and attainments. Toward it heaves the shuddering, longing ache of contact. Alons, whoever you are, come travel with me. Traveling with me you find what never tires. The earth never tires. The earth is rude, silent, incomprehensible at first. Nature is rude and uncomprehensible at first. Be not discouraged. Keep on. There are divine things, well enveloped. I swear to you there are divine things more beautiful than words can tell. Alons, we must not stop here. However sweet these laid-up stores, however convenient this dwelling, we cannot remain here. However sheltered this port, however calm these waters, we must not anchor here. However welcome the hospitality that surrounds us, we are permitted to receive it but a little while. Alone, the inducement shall be great to you. We will sail pathless and wild seas. We will go where winds blow, waves dash, and the Yankee clipper speeds by under full sail. Alone, with power, liberty, the earth, the elements, health, defiance, gaiety, self-esteem, curiosity, Alons, from all formulas, from your formulas, O oh, bat-eyed and materialistic priests, the stale cadaver blocks up the passage, the burial waits no longer. Alons, yet take warning, he traveling with me needs the best blood, thews, endurance, none may come to the trial till he or she brings courage or health. Come not here if you have already spent the best of yourself. Only those may come who come in sweet and determined bodies. No diseased person, no rum drinker or venereal taint is permitted here. I and mine do not convince by arguments, similes, rhymes. We convince by our presence. Listen, I will be honest with you. I do not offer the old smooth prizes, but offer rough new prizes. These are the days that must happen to you. You shall not heap up what is called riches. You shall scatter with lavish hand all that you earn or achieve. You but arrive at the city to which you were, 
to which you were destined. You hardly settle yourself to satisfaction before you are called by an irresistible call to depart. You shall be treated to the ironical smiles and mockings of those who remain behind you. What beckonings of love you receive, you shall only answer with passionate kisses of parting. You shall not allow the hold of those who spread their reached hands toward you. Alone, after the great companions, and to belong to them, they too are on the road, they are the swift and majestic men, they are the greatest women. Over that which hindered them, over that which retarded, passing impediments large or small, committers of crime, committers of many beautiful virtues, enjoyers of calms of seas and storms of seas, sailors of many a ship, walkers of many a mile of land, habitués of many different countries, habitués of far distant dwellings, trusters of men and women, observers of cities, solitary toilers, pausers and contemplators of tufts, blossoms, shells of the shore, dancers at wedding dances, kissers of brides, tender helpers of children, bearers of children, soldiers of revolts, standers by gaping graves, lowerers down of coffins, journeyers over consecutive seasons over the years, the curious years each emerging from that which preceded it, journeyers as with companions, namely their own diverse faces, forth steppers from the latent unrealized baby days, journeyers gaily with their own youth, journeyers with their bearded and well-grained manhood, journeyers with their womanhood, ample, unsurpassed, content, journeyers with their sublime old age of manhood or womanhood, old age, calm, expanded, broad with the haughty breadth of the universe, old age, flowing free with the delicious nearby freedom of death, allons to that which is endless as it was, beginningless, to undergo much tramps of days, rests of nights, to merge all in the travel they tend to, and the days and nights they tend to, again to merge them in the start of superior journeys, to see nothing anywhere but what you may reach it and pass it, to conceive no time, however distant, but what you may reach it and pass it, to look up or down, no road, but it stretches and waits for you, however long, but it stretches and waits for you. To see no being, not gods or any, but you also go thither. To see no possession, but you may possess it. Enjoying all without labor or purchase, abstracting the feast, yet not abstracting one particle of it. To take the best of the farmer's farm and the rich man's elegant villa, and the chaste blessings of the well-married couple, and the fruits of orchards and flowers and gardens, to take to your use out of the compact cities as you pass through, to carry buildings and streets with you afterward wherever you go, to gather the minds of men out of their brains as you encounter them, to gather the love out of their hearts, to take your own lovers on the road with you for all that you leave them behind you, to know the universe itself as a road, as many roads, as roads for traveling souls, 
the soul travels, the body does not travel as much as the soul. The body is just as great a work as the soul, and parts away at last for the journeys of the soul. All parts away for the progress of souls, all religion, all solid things, arts, governments, all that was or is apparent upon this globe or any globe falls into niches and corners before the processions of souls along the grand roads of the universe, of the progress of the souls of men and women along the grand roads of the universe. All other progress is the needed emblem and sustenance. Forever alive, forever forward, stately, solemn, sad, withdrawn, baffled, mad, turbulent, feeble, dissatisfied, desperate, proud, fond, sick, accepted by men, rejected by men, they go. They go. I know that they go, but I know not where they go. But I know that they go toward the best, toward something great. Alons, whoever you are, come forth. You must not stay in your house, though you built it, or though it has been built for you. Alons, out of the dark confinement, it is useless to protest. I know all and expose it. Behold through you as bad as the rest, through the laughter, dancing, dining, supping of people. Inside of dresses and ornaments, inside of those washed and trimmed faces, behold a secret, silent loathing and despair. No husband, no wife, no friend, no lover so trusted as to hear the confession. Another self, a duplicate of every one, skulking and hiding it goes, open and above board it goes, formless and wordless through the streets of the cities, polite and bland in the parlors, and the cars of railroads, and steamboats, and the public assembly, home to the houses of men and women, among their families, at the table, in the bedroom, everywhere, smartly attired, countenance smiling, form upright, death under the breastbones, hell under the skull bones, under the broad cloth and gloves, under the ribbons and artificial flowers, keeping fair with the customs, speaking not a syllable of itself, speaking of anything else, but never, never of itself. Alons, through struggles and wars, the goal that was named cannot be countermanded. Have the past struggles succeeded? What has succeeded? Yourself, your nation, nature? Now understand me well. It is provided in the essence of things that from any fruition of success, no matter what, shall come forth something to make a greater struggle necessary. My call is the call of battle. I nourish active rebellion. He going with me must go well armed. He going with me goes often with spare diet, poverty, angry enemies, contentions. Alone, the road is before us. It is safe. I have tried it. My own feet have tried it well. Alone, be not detained. Let the paper remain on the desk unwritten and the book on the shelf unopened. Let the tools remain in the workshop, 
Let the money remain unearned. Let the school stand. Mind not the cry of the teacher. Let the preacher preach in his pulpit. Let the lawyer plead in the court and the judge expound the law. Mon enfant, I give you my hand. I give you my love, more precious than money. I give you myself before preaching or law. Will you give me yourself? Will you come travel with me? Shall we stick by each other as long as we live? And this is just one of those nights. It doesn't matter what day it is that I recorded this or after what week that passed that I recorded this, after what two years that have passed that I recorded this. Um, but sometimes, on some nights, on some hours, poetry really does matter and uplift. And hasn't Walt done that tonight? This is Walt Whitman's poem, A Song of the Rolling Earth. That's the more familiar title. Its original title in the 1856 Leaves of Grass was Poem of the Sayers of the Words of the Earth. This is what it says. Earth, round, rolling, compact, suns, moons, animals, all these are words, watery, vegetable, Sauroid advances, beings, premonitions, lispings of the future. These are vast words. Were you thinking that those were the words? Those upright lines, those curves, angles, dots? No, those are not the words. The substantial words are in the ground and sea. They are in the air. They are in you. Were you thinking that those were the words? those delicious sounds out of your friend's mouths? No, the real words are more delicious than they. Human bodies are words, myriads of words, and the best poems reappear the body, man's or woman's, well-shaped, natural, gay, every part able, active, receptive, without shame or the need of shame. Air, soil, water, fire, these are words. I myself am a word with them. My qualities interpenetrate with theirs. My name is nothing to them. Though it were told in the three thousand languages, what would air, soil, water, fire know of my name? A healthy presence, a friendly or commanding gesture, are words, sayings, meanings, the charms that go with the mere looks of some men and women are sayings and meanings also. The workmanship of souls is by the inaudible words of the earth. The great masters, the sayers, know the earth's words and use them more than the audible words. Syllables are not the earth's words. Beauty, 
reality, manhood, time, life, the realities of such as these are the earth's words. Amelioration is one of the earth's words. The earth neither lags nor hastens. It has all attributes, growths, effects, latent in itself from the jump. It is not half beautiful only. Defects and execrescences show just as much as perfections show. The earth does not withhold. It is generous enough. The truths of the earth continually wait. They are not so concealed either. They are calm, subtle, untransmissible by print. They are imbued through all things, conveying themselves willingly, conveying a sentiment, an invitation of the earth. I utter and utter, I speak not, yet if you hear me not, of what avail am I to you? To bear, to better, lacking these, of what avail am I? Accoucher, accouchez. Will you not, will you rot your own fruit in yourself there? Will you squat and stifle there? The earth does not argue, is not pathetic, has no arrangements, does not scream, haste, persuade, threaten, promise, makes no discriminations, has no conceivable failures, closes nothing, refuses nothing, shuts none out. Of all the powers, objects, states, it notifies, shuts none out. The earth does not exhibit itself, nor refuse to exhibit itself. Possesses still underneath, underneath the ostensible sounds, the august chorus of heroes, the wail of slaves, persuasions of lovers, curses, gasps of the dying, laughter of young people, accents of bargainers. Underneath these, possessing the words that never fail, to her children, the words of the eloquent, dumb, great mother never fail. The true words do not fail, for motion does not fail, and reflection does not fail. Also the day and night do not fail, and the voyage we pursue does not fail. Of the interminable sisters, of the ceaseless cotillions of sisters, of the centripetal and centrifugal sisters, the elder and younger sisters, the beautiful sister we know, dances on with the rest. With her ample back towards every beholder, with the fascinations of youth and the equal fascinations of age, sits she whom I too love like the rest, sits undisturbed, holding up in her hand what has the character of a mirror, her eyes glancing back from it, glancing thence as she sits, inviting none, denying none, holding a mirror day and night, tirelessly before her own face. Seen at hand or seen at a distance, duly the twenty-four appear in public every day, duly approach and pass with their companions, or a companion, looking from no countenances of their own, but from the countenances of those who are with them, from the countenances of children or women, or the manly countenance, from the open countenances of animals, from inanimate things, from the landscape or waters, or from the exquisite apparition of the sky, from our own countenances, mine and yours, faithfully returning them, every day, in public, 
appearing without fail, but never twice, with the same companions. Embracing man, embracing all, proceed the 365 resistlessly around the sun, embracing all, soothing, supportive, following close 365 offsets of the first, sure and necessary as they, tumbling on steadily, nothing dreading, sunshine, storm, cold heat, forever withstanding, passing, carrying, the soul's realization and determination still inheriting, the liquid vacuum around and ahead still entering and dividing, no balk retarding, no anchor anchoring, on no rock striking, swift, glad, content, unbereaved, nothing losing, of all able and ready at any time to give a strict account, the divine ship sails, the divine sea. Whoever you are, motion and reflection are especially for you. The divine ship sails, the divine sea, for you. Whoever you are, you are he or she for whom the earth is solid and liquid. You are he or she for whom the sun and moon hang in the sky. For none more than you are the present and the past. For none more than you is immortality. Each man to himself and each woman to herself is the word of the past and present and the word of immortality. Not one can acquire for another, not one. Not one can grow for another, not one. The song is to the singer and comes back to him. The teaching is to the teacher and comes back most to him. The murder is to the murderer and comes back most to him. The theft is to the thief and comes back most to him. The love is to the lover and comes back most to him. The gift is to the giver and comes back most to him. It cannot fail. The oration is to the orator. And the acting is to the actor and actress, not to the audience. And no man understands any greatness or goodness but his own, or the indication of his own. I swear the earth shall surely be complete to him or her who shall be complete. I swear the earth remains broken and jagged only to him or her who remains broken and jagged. I swear there is no greatness or power that does not emulate those of the earth. I swear there can be no theory of any account unless it corroborate the theory of the earth. No politics, art, religion, behavior, or what not is of account unless it compare with the amplitude of the earth, unless it face the exactness, vitality, impartiality, rectitude of the earth. I swear I begin to see love with sweeter spasms than which responds love. It is that which contains itself, which never invites and never refuses. I swear I begin to see little or nothing in audible words. I swear I think all merges toward the presentation of the unspoken meanings of the earth, toward him who sings the songs of the body and of the truths of the earth, toward him who makes the dictionaries of the words that print cannot touch. 
I swear I see what is better than to tell the best. It is always to leave the best untold. When I undertake to tell the best, I find I cannot. My tongue is ineffectual on its pivots. My breath will not be obedient to its organs. I become a dumb man. The best of the earth cannot be told anyhow. All or any is best. It is not what you anticipated. It is cheaper, easier, nearer. Things are not dismissed from the places they held before. The earth is just as positive and direct as it was before. Facts, religions, improvements, politics, trades are as real as before, but the soul is also real. It too is positive and direct. No reasoning, no proof has established it. Undeniable growth has established it. This is a poem for the sayers of the earth. These are hints of meanings. These are they that echo the tones of souls and the phrases of souls. If they did not echo the phrases of souls, what were they then? If they had not reference to you in especial, what were they then? I swear I will never henceforth have to do with the faith that tells the best. I will have to do with the faith that only leaves the best untold. Say on, sayers of the earth, delve, mold, pile the substantial words of the earth, work on, age after age, nothing is to be lost. It may have to wait long, but it will certainly come in use. When the materials all are all prepared, the architects shall appear. I swear to you, the architects shall appear without fail. I announce them and lead them. I swear to you, they will understand you and justify you. I swear to you, the greatest among them shall be he who best knows you and encloses all and is faithful to all. I swear to you, he and the rest shall not forget you. They shall perceive that you are not an iota less than they. I swear to you, you shall be glorified in them. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.